Um, what I want to do is I want to take us through, uh, I want to start with the question, did God cause COVID-19? And then land where I've asked uh, these incredibly wise and precious saints and fathers and mothers in the faith who've uh, led for many decades, uh, not calling them old, just calling them brilliant. Um, we're going to try land uh, answering the same question I asked them, and I don't think I could do any better job than they did in answering it. I'm going to move through the material quite quickly because there's a lot I want to quote. There's a lot of uh, good information I want to pass along, and I'm happy this week, I'm happy to just send my notes if you don't catch it. But if I was you, I'd grab a pen and paper, and as there's just uh, something just speaks to you, just jot it down real quickly. That's the joy of uh, this kind of gathering is you can just get up, go, go get a pen and paper and go do that. Um, so allow me to move on quickly and then we're going to end. You'll be surprised at how connected uh, what I'm going to say is to what Tom and what Chris and what Yuna and what Meryl said um, already. This week's primarily going to be answering that question in a, in a God and us relationship. And then next week I want to look at how God uses us to love one another relationship. So the vertical and horizontal, what God is doing through COVID-19. Um, did God cause COVID-19? Whenever something like this happens, uh, some kind of crisis, I, I wait to see how long it takes um, for some Christian somewhere to pop up and call for repentance. In other words, this is clearly to them uh, God uh, pouring his wrath out uh, because of the sin of humanity and the way that we stop it or stem the tide is by all falling on our knees and repenting. And uh, the first time I saw it was when our beloved prime minister was praying for this nation in a private Zoom conversation, um, much like this, was busy praying for our nation and someone threw up a comment, uh, PM, please call for Australia to repent. And that was the first time I saw it, but it didn't, it didn't just end there. Uh, it, it's all over the place. There's a Presbyterian denomination in Scotland uh, that has put out a statement saying this about COVID-19, uh, an urgent call to us all to repent of our sin. Um, a very a well-known spoken word artist uh, posted a YouTube clip to all of her followers and she wrote, said this. Uh, she, she, she started the conversation saying, I, I have a word that God has given me and uh, ended the conversation with this. I don't think this, is, this COVID-19 is from the enemy. I think this is God. Fall on your knees in repentance so that God can take his rightful position in our lives. I'll give you one more uh, quote in that light. It was by an article written by Brian Tabb, a fantastic short article. And I'll just read what he wrote because I couldn't say it better. How did the church respond when a, when a third of the world died? Um, today, there would be two and a half billion people in the 14th century medieval Europe due to the Black Death. Most explained the calamitous plague as an expression of divine punishment against human sin and sought to appease God's wrath in various ways, including public repentance in sackcloth and ashes, self-flagellation and violence against the Jews who were blamed for poisoning the water. 16th century evangelicals consistently interpreted the English sweating sickness as the divine rod sent to discipline the nation for its wickedness and preachers called on believers to pray and amend their ways. During the 17th century, three bouts of bubonic plague beset England. The, protest, the Protestant church <laughs> identified this disease as a divine scourge striking down sin. And I could keep going on and on quoting uh, pastors and Christians 
and writers who are calling for uh, people to repent, to fall on their knees, so that this can all be over. Um, let me read you one more article, uh, one more quote from an article. Al-Qaeda's central media outlet issued a statement in English and Arabic titled, The Way Forward, a word of advice on the coronavirus pandemic, reflecting the view that the COVID-19 pandemic was a clear sign of God's fury towards humanity for its sin and failure to adhere to God's rules. The six-page document urges all Muslims to repent and all non-Muslims to embrace Islam. So the question is, if God sent COVID-19, are you to repent in Jesus' name, to embrace Islam, or to sacrifice on the altar again? If you open up the Old Testament and read parts of it, you will find that God could uh, send something like this. He did in the past uh, share how he would, in response to sin, um, do something like this. And at least one Isra Israelite king was killed through a virus sent by God. But as you continue to read the Bible, the same Old Testament, you get the overwhelming sense, because it says so, that God wants to heal broken people. Sin is so serious that God has to punish it. But God is so loving that He finds a way to do that through the cross of Jesus Christ. And at the cross of Jesus, you see the great, God's greatest, clearest response to human sin, where justice and mercy both meet at the body that is crucified, uh, Jesus' body crucified on the cross of Jesus, there we have justice and mercy. And so whenever we think about God's response to human sin today, I think the safest thing to think that God would point to is the cross of Jesus Christ, where His justice and mercy uh, both meet. In my neighborhood, uh, everywhere you go, there's rainbows. There's rainbows on pavements, in windows, on balconies. There's rainbows everywhere. And I'm not 100% sure why a rainbow is the picture of hope in my neck of the woods. There's hardly any Christians where I live. And yet uh, we know that the rainbow is a promise from God in the scriptures, a promise that God wouldn't destroy the earth uh, as he did with Noah. It's a kind of a, a promise of love, a promise of patience, a promise of mercy, a promise of kindness um, that he would uh, commit to. The world commits to humanity. He didn't say, if you don't sin, he said, I won't ever again, um, reflecting his heart for how he is going to go about things. And so I think my interpretation, I'm not sure that I'm right and don't say this is from the Lord, but I think as best as I can understand our, our God, that today he works in floods of mercy, not floods of wraths or pandemics. Um, and so I know a day will come and you know a day will come and scripture says a day will come when God will judge uh, all things, all people. But I'm not sure that this is that day. And if that, this is not that day, then I think today is a day of mercy and grace uh, where God is reaching out to people and calling them to Jesus Christ. And uh, so then the question is, if God did not send COVID-19, how could God be using this moment? How could God be using this pandemic? The question I asked. Uh, our parents. Um, God is sophisticated. He's super sophisticated. And so I'm going to say three things I think God could be doing. But if I can think of three, then I'm sure that he could be doing three billion things uh, and we could never discover them all. 
Uh, but I'm going to give you three things and I'm going to put them under the categories of idols of our heart. That's, uh, that's, why, that's because we don't think of our thoughts or our affections or our behavior as serving idols consciously. And yet unconsciously, that's exactly what the scriptures calls it. Um, the idols of our heart, not necessarily uh, consciously serving them, but we do unconsciously. And I think God can bring them to light through the season. Idol number one, security. Uh, COVID, through this COVID-19, there's an opportunity for God to take us on a journey from fear, um, which Chris spoke about anxieties and, and these things, from fear to focusing on our eternal future. There's an opportunity to move from fear to focusing on our eternal future. Security is defined by, like this in the dictionary, a state of being free from danger or threat. A state of being free from danger or, or threat. We lock our houses, we lock our doors, our windows, everything. Not because we've uh, had, not because many of us have had house breaks uh, or people have broken into our houses, but because we want to avoid anyone ever breaking into our house. We want to avoid that danger or threat. We want the security of being safe in our home. We lock our car doors when we go to the grocery store, not because many of us have ever seen a car stolen or uh, had our cars robbed. But we do that because we want to avoid, we want to remove ourselves from the possibility that we might encounter that danger or threat. Um, even though it, it actually in our, in our environment is very far away from us. Uh, when we go flying from one place to another, if you can remember what that was like, you are treated as a potential terrorist until proven innocent. From the moment you check in, you are asked questions to see if you are a danger or threat and you are only allowed to fly once it is determined that you are innocent. And then when you land, you have to prove once again that you are innocent, not a dangerous person, not a threat to be allowed uh, in to wherever you're going. And uh, in Australia, we spend $38 billion a year on national security compared to $4 billion on international aid. Uh, and national security is huge to us. Personal security, even bigger. The architecture of our lives highlights the value that we place on security, on being free of danger and threat. And what we've done by idolizing security, by worshiping it, by creating an architecture around our whole lives, we've actually created, curated, crafted a new fear. The fear of change, the fear of losing control, the fear of uncertainty. And COVID-19 is a period of history full of uncertainty. The crafted, curated, created fear that we made uh, in our own image in security has been blown up and our worst fears have come true. And uncertainty is the reality of all of our lives. Um, let me pause and ask you the question. You can't answer it right now, but I want you to think about it. Is what securities in your life have now become uncertainties? Chris said 60% of people in their uh, congregation have lost their jobs. Employment's an uncertainty. A wage is an uncertainty. Being able to pay the mortgage is an uncertainty. Putting food on the table may be an uncertainty. What are uncertainties today that 
yeah, a few weeks ago were fairly secure. COVID-19 slips through all of our defenses, national and personal, and it creates this environment of uncertainty. But it gives us a wonderful chance to face our fears. We can either hanker after security. Oh, I can't wait till things go back to normal, till uh, things are secure again, till uncertainty is out of our environment. Or we can relocate our faith in Jesus. We can relook at our future and remember where we're going and that nothing that COVID-19 can do, nothing in this moment or environment can change what God is doing eternally in our lives. I don't want to be insensitive to anyone who's lost a job. I, I have friends, uh, some of you right here now, um, who are out of work and this is a reality for you. We're not playing with words or situations. This is your life. Uh, but I mean with all sincerity and, and uh, earnestness that the best thing we can do is relocate our fears to uh, replacing it with hope of our future. Uh, what is certain in God? Let me ask the question this way. What of the things that God will give you in and for eternity can you lose today? What are the things that God will give you in and for eternity can you lose today? Number two, I'm going to do a lot of reading on this one, uh, a lot of good information, because it's one that, as I get into it, it's one that most of us think everyone else has a problem with, but no one thinks they do. And so try listen quite carefully, if you don't mind. Uh, listen to this one really carefully. Even pray right now that God will help you if this is you to hear it. The good life. Number two, the good life. A journey from financial infidelity to faith. A journey from financial infidelity to faith. In 2000, Brian Rosner wrote a wonderful article entitled Unmasking Greed. Rosner says that modern Westerners have devalued greed. In other words, greed was a very bad sin for most of human history. But in modern Western societies, greed has been devalued. It's not a bad sin. It's not a dangerous sin. You can put up with it in your life. Uh, you don't need to pay it much attention. Um, none of us would call ourselves greedy. Uh, we have, uh, Rosner writes, we have a more nuanced attitude towards money. If asked what is more important to us, we would not hesitate to put family and friends ahead of material things. In other words, if someone asked you what do you value the most, what you would say to them is family and friends. They come first. Uh, he says this is kind of a mask to hide our greed so that we have kind of full permission to pursue the good life 100% as long as we don't have to choose between family and friends. Uh, we think most other people have a problem, but we would never think this problem is in ourselves. Um, Miroslav Wolf says that modernity has hidden greed. He, he, we've replaced it behind the mask of insatiability. He says this, the inactive, listen to it carefully, the inactive virus of insatiability broke out with capitalism in a general epidemic. Just as COVID-19 spreads, not seen and often asymptomatic, says with capitalism in the Western world came insatiability, the need for more, never content, always a little bit more, always a bit more money, always a bit more work, always the next step, the next promotion, the next thing, the next experience, the next destination, the next journey, the next adventure, the next holiday, the next long weekend. 
insatiability. Enough is never enough. There's always the next thing. And he says greed is hidden behind that. It's, in other words, we wouldn't say that. Uh, in Australia, we wouldn't call it insatiability. We wouldn't call it greed. We'd call it the good life. And those two things have been hidden behind the pursuit of the good life. What most of us would post on our Instagram feeds, food experiences, beach experiences, uh, promotions at work, new friends, um, the good life, insatiability, greed. Jesus taught his disciples to be very watchful of greed. Paul taught Timothy to literally flee greed and Christians to put greed to death. Paul shows that greed is incompatible with the gospel in 1 Corinthians. John shows that greed and brutality go hand in hand in Revelations, that uh, those who are gaining more are gaining it at the expense of the weak and the poor and the, and the fragile. In other words, uh, you can't be go you can't be advancing in your for your own sake without someone else being disadvantaged um, martin luther said that greed causes unbelief and unbelief causes greed uh, the new testament obviously not martin luther the new testament treats greed as a very serious sin but what does greed idolatry and the good life have to do with one another how are they intertwined how are they the same thing um, Paul calls a greedy person an idolater. An idolater is defined as a server of an image. And Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. So the problem with greed or insatiability or pursuing the good life is the problem of idolatry. Idolatry is the great virus that affects all people. The pursuit of the good life is the virus that infects all modern Westerners or most modern Westerners. Please take that in. COVID-19 is not our problem. Biggest problem. It is a problem. It's not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem when COVID-19 ends is the virus that will remain. And that's the pursuit of the good life. And COVID-19 is an opportunity to see the pursuit of the good life, to see our insatiability, to see our greed. As Meryl said, uh, she quoted the, the Matt Redman song, um, when the music fades and all is stripped away, when everything is stripped away, when the good life is stripped away. As my mom said, you, you know, seeing her values again of fellowshipping with people. Who cares about entertainment anymore? Who cares about having your own time anymore? I just want to be with people and have meaningful interaction face to face. Things of the world are stripped, being stripped away. Um, the good life is proving to be not so good after all. Church father Tertullian described idolatry as this. The principal crime of the human race, the highest guilt charged upon the world, and the whole procuring cause of judgment. The psalmist writes, They provoked God to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling place at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind. Greed, insatiable desire, the pursuit of the good life is a very bad sin. It cannot be devalued. Rosner writes, in Western society in, gen in general, listen to this carefully, the economy has achieved what can only be described as a status equal to that of the sacred. 
Like God, the economy, it is thought, is capable of supplying people's needs without limit. Money in which we put our faith and advertising which we adore are among its rituals. People today conduct their lives primarily in terms of economic religiosity. The purpose of life involves the full development of the individual's economic potential and the pursuit of material progress for, all, for the good of all. In other words, if you're not making progress in the economy, then you don't really have value in society or a purpose in your life. Boom. That should shock us, scare us, frighten us to think about whether we are pursuing a good life. To think about what the focus of our lives is, where we find our human dignity, where we find our value. He says the economy has become religious. And if you're not adding to it, if you're not involved in it, then you have no value or purpose. Sorry, this is not Rosner's perspective. It's his, uh, it's as he observes life, it's what he sees. Bowley summarizes the cultural attitude towards money like this. Religion may help us save our souls or understand the agony of life and death, but it cannot help us to obtain the vast array of goodnesses, meanings, and purposes that are preferred in the economic realm. Uh, he's saying the same thing. You have uh, no meaning or purpose if you're not engaged healthily in the economy. A retired priest said that in his uh, career, people came to him and confessed every sin but one. The one sin in his whole career that no one ever confessed was greed. None of us think we have a problem with the good life. Here's a diagnostic question. What does someone do with their idol that believers are meant only to do with God? What does someone do with an idol that believers are meant only to do with God? The answer is this. Offer their idols love, trust, and obedience. In our society, we're subtly driven by need for money, possessions, and experiences. The good life. We unconsciously, and maybe consciously, if we're honest about ourselves, many of us love money, trust money, and do what must be done to get money. Our purpose, and maybe even our human dignity, is intertwined with the economy more than it is with God. And so COVID-19 is a wonderful opportunity to expose our spiritual adultery, with a good life and to place our faith back in Jesus, place our hope back in Jesus. COVID-19 has disrupted the good life. Our God has been exposed and some of us, our very identity has been shaken. But this is an opportunity to relocate our love and our trust and our obedience to God, to give what we give of our value and our dignity to the good life, to give that to God. Um, as I think both, I think both Tom and Chris spoke about our relationship with God. The most, the most important thing again, Chris spoke about uh, the the uh, rule of life, getting the getting our practices, our habits of grace back on track, getting the busyness away. 
This is an opportunity to get our love, our trust and our obedience back on God, situated in God. This is not a chance for fidelity of our faith, to put fidelity back into our faith. Many of us who have been busy, this is an opportunity. Don't miss it. It's almost over for us in Perth, Australia. It's slowing down for us. The window's closing. You have to take it with both hands. It's not going to be gifted to you. This is an opportunity to slow down and get that rule of life right. Get that relationship with God primary, making, defining the good life firstly in a relationship with Almighty God um, before all other things. Thirdly, lastly, and this one will be much shorter. Wellness, a journey from fitness to fellowship. Australia is third only to America and China, probably only because we're so small, in wellness real estate, specially designed homes to help your wellness. The global wellness industry is $4.5 billion and anti-aging and fitness are the two big hitters. What does anti-aging and fitness have to do with each other? What do they have in common? I think the answer is that if you look young and feel fit, sickness and ultimately death feel distant. If you look young and feel fit, you don't have to think about sickness and death. You can be immortal for a little bit longer. You don't have to face human frailty and mortality. And so in other words, please enjoy this line because I worked so hard on it. In other words, the wellness industry gives the wages of sin a facelift. What is the wages of sin? Death. But the wellness industry takes that away and it puts a new face. The, well, the uh, wages of sin... Uh, gives it a, the wages of sin a facelift. COVID-19 has washed away the makeup of the wellness industry. It get, COVID-19 gets young, it gets old. We know it doesn't get them equally, but uh, the whole world has responded to this situation. It gets the fit and the unfit. It reminds us of what was always true. Sickness is so helpful to bring back before our faces our human frailty, the thing that we've been trying to ignore so hard. We are mortals and death comes to all of us. John Donne, the great poet, wrote this when a, when a friend died. So you, sick world, mistake yourself to be well, when alas you are in lethargy. And can there be worse sickness than to know that we are never well, nor can be so. Through sickness, our limitations are exposed and our need for God is brought to light right in front of our faces. The young, the healthy, the powerful are as fragile as the old, the sick, the weak. COVID-19 creates an opportunity for us to get closer fellowship with God. To look at our frailty in the mirror and then to look to God instead. It gives us an opportunity to relocate our attention from our narcissism to a vibrant and real relationship with Almighty God, which we will one day all enter through our own human frailty. Isn't that ironic that we will enter life and eternity? Unless Jesus returns, we will enter life and eternity through our own death. Didn't Jesus already say that? If you want to have a part of me, if you want to follow me, you must die. If you want to have life, you must die. It's already there. And uh, COVID-19 gives us an opportunity to discover our narcissism, to put it to death so that we might enjoy living fellowship with Almighty God. Paul wrote this, Physical training is good, 
but training for godliness is much better, promising, uh, promising benef benefits in this life and in the life to come. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and the life to come. So what is God doing through COVID-19? Number one, COVID-19 is disrupting our security, taking us on a journey from fear to relocating our hope in the future. Now, the future doesn't have to stay there. The future can come right now, an awareness of the kingdom of God, uh, right where we are. Number two, it's disrupting the good life. And we can relocate ourselves from financial infidelity to a position of faith in Jesus. And number three, it's disrupting our wellness, a life of uh, fitness and masks to a life of fellowship with Almighty God. We need to close and I need to share with you our practice for this week. Our practice for this week, we'll, we put it online and we'll send it to you via email as well, is to write a rule of life. A rule of life is a routine that you commit to take yourself through. What's being said is that uh, the reason most Christians don't make good progress is because they aren't willing to put their head down long enough for the little steps to be meaningful. A rule of life helps us take little steps, little by little, every day. So we've got uh, prayer. We've got, uh, my mind has gone blank now because I'm staring at a screen. We've got uh, prayer. We've got a ritual of gratitude. And we have phone calls. Sorry, phone calls. Uh, those are the three things we're doing. And now we're going to do rule of life. And those things come into the rule of life. Those, those three things come into your rule of life. It's online on our website. And we'll email it to all of our members. I've uh, taken John Mark Comer's with permission and hacked it for us. Uh, to make it a little bit more personal. We'll send it to you and I want to beseech you to sincerely sit down with the page and create for yourself a rule of life. Time is up. I must pray you can carry on, but Instagram